About a year ago, one of my friends tweeted out a question. This question was, if you were to look at your 14 to 13 year old self, what would you tell them? And some of these responses are pretty humorous. Like, get into Harvard and room with a dude named Zuckerberg. <laughs> Invest in Amazon and Google and Apple. Or you wear a 2X, not an XL. Or you wear an XL, not a 2X. Don't, don't waste your time on that video game so much. There's all kinds of humorous, and there's some serious. Like, girl, don't, don't waste your time with that boy that's going to break your heart. Or when you turn 18, it's going to get rough. Brace for it. Or your parents did the best they could. You'll get through it. It'll be okay. If you were to ask yourself that same question, you have all kinds of thoughts in your mind, right? If you were to ask yourself the question, what would I say to my teenage self? There's so many things that come through your mind, so many scenarios you would recommend to that 14-year-old, 13-year-old, 12-year-old self. What would you say to them? But the reality is we can't, right? We cannot go back. We can't go back and tell our teenage self and warn them to encourage them, but we can go forward. As we see teenagers and junior highers and high schoolers roam our church every week with those same pains that you went through, those same joys you went through, so those same things you went through as a middle schooler and high schooler. We can't go back, but we can go forward. So my hope this morning is to share with you my burdens, my heart for student ministry. While I'm here, the reasons I'm here, and how we can go forward and stepping into the lives of our students. Before we jump in, I just want to make a couple of qualifiers. I don't have this figured out. I, I'm not an expert. I, these are not quick solutions. These are literally my burdens. They will not happen overnight. But I hope this morning you're encouraged from God's word that I care for your students and this church cares for your students. I'll give you three words this morning that, that kind of show in this text that we should step, how we should step into the life of students. First word is this, belonging. Belonging. Think of what Paul's doing here. He's addressing students and kids specifically. What Paul's doing here in the book of Ephesians, in the first three chapters, he gives kind of some theological prepositions, some heavy truths. And then in the back half of Ephesians, he's giving practical application. So right before this chapter six, he's addressing husbands and wives. Love your wife, husband, and love your husband, wife. This is the picture of Christ and the church. And he goes on to get more practical application. But there's implications in Paul addressing kids. Think about this. When, when Paul introduced the book of Ephesians, he introduced it like this. To the saints in Ephesus. To the saints in Ephesus. 
When he addresses that, he's addressing the the church collectively. Then he goes to kids particularly. That means that the kids are included in the saints. I don't know about you, when I grow up, even, even in my life, when I thought of saint, I thought of gray hair. But Paul, Paul, for saint, it means Christian. It means Christian. So, the implication is that these kids are important. They're extremely valuable. Kids obeying your parents has massive implications to the whole body of Christ. So therefore, if kids are not thriving, the church is not thriving. The students are not thriving, the church. And look at what it says. Just turn a few pages in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16. Look what it says. Paul says here. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Listen to this. Until we attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro for the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which we are equipped. When each part is working properly, listen to this church, when each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it is built up in itself up to love. Listen, listen, what Paul's saying here, he's, he's giving a picture of the church as a body. And if one body, piece, part of that body isn't functioning, the body isn't functioning properly. And you know this, right? You know this. If you've gotten up in the middle of the night and you've wandered to the bathroom, you don't want to turn the lights on because it'll wake your spouse, you know when your toe hits the end of that bed, you say really good words that you never say, but my hand works. No, your whole body feels it, right? You verbally say words. I've, I've been operated on 13 different times. My body has been broken in 13 different ways. The most painful was when I broke both my feet playing football and broke both my my metatar- my fifth metatarsals. And when I broke my foot, I did not proclaim how healthy the rest of my body was. <laughs> no, I cried, I wa- I crawled. I was in pain. Listen, our, our students may be the foot, but if we don't have a healthy foot, we don't have a healthy body. Students belong. They're essential. And how the student, how, the, how kids relate to their parents, Paul's given us a picture. Husband and the wife, how they relate, gives a picture of the church and Christ. But I would argue that sons and daughters relating to their parents gives a picture of something even bigger, the Trinity. 
the greatest son to ever walk this earth. His name was Jesus. And over and over again, what did he do? Submitted to the Father. Submitted complete. He, he, in the garden, he was praying, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, let it be taken from me. But not my will, but your will be done. He's obeying the Father. I came, Jesus said, to obey my Father, to do the will of the Father. Jesus, fully God, obeyed his dad. And this, this tells us that kids obeying their father and mother doesn't mean they're less than. Jesus, fully equal with his father in deity and essence, submitted to him because of his role. Listen, subordination does not equal inferiority. Kids obeying their parents means they, parents need their kids to flourish. And our church needs our kids to flourish. The reality is our, our students are longing for belonging. Their, their own social media or in, in the gaming system or in, in different ways they're doing their lives, they're longing for the belonging, but the reality is these things are very insufficient. They're only a shallow relationships. So what can the church do? News reports are coming out about depression being at an all-time high among adolescents. Some research sold by Carapal and growing young research that approximately 20% of all teenagers worry a great deal about the future. I meet with students regularly, sophomores and freshmen in high school, they are in tears, in tears about what they would major in in college. Kara Powell and her research show that kids can't just dabble in anything. Perfection is at their front door. That means stress is at their front door. Our kids need belonging. They're important. And the reality is, this is tough. Especially when you have different kids in the same room. Adults, diverse adults in the same room is hard. Diverse kids in the same room is really hard. So if you have different ethnicities and different school types in one room, it gets rough. But could you imagine, could you imagine the ride home from church in the church of Ephesus? Mom, why don't they dress that way? Dad, why don't they talk like that? After the potluck meal, the, the Gentile kid, it's like, why don't they eat pork? I love baby back ribs. What? What? Why do they do this? But Paul's answer was not to put the eject button. Paul's talking to kids because they belong. Students need belonging. Secondly, students need people. Think what else Paul is doing here. Paul is a non-parent speaking into a kid's life. Paul's a non-parent speaking to a kid's life. He is the first youth pastor. Speaking in to a student's life. But he also addresses fathers, right? He, he says, fathers, instruct your kids. 
Listen, our students need people in their lives, and that includes parents and volunteers. This is a partnership. If you think about your testimony, think about how God worked in your life, you think about who, who, um, who, how, did, how did God shape me? And most of us would say, it's not a sermon, it's not a quote, it's not a book, it's a person. It's a person. That somebody stepped into my life and spoke the gospel, heard my, my fears, my anxiety. They, they, they put their shoulder underneath my head when I needed to cry. Students need people in their lives. But there's a temptation. There's two slopes for you as parents. The slopes are this, that I can do this on my own or you do it for me. And both of those are bad slopes. Parents, you are never meant to parent alone. Parenting is way too hard for that. When God saved you, he, he, he brought your family into a fold, into a church, for you to come bring your family, to be discipled as a family. So when you bring your student to student ministry, your kids to kid ministry, you're dropping them off with aunts and uncles in Christ. This is a partnership. But parent, also know that the church was never made to do it for you. The church was never meant to do it for you. We, the church spends 60 to 80 hours with a kid every year. 60 to 80 hours. We, were, we can't make a Christian, make a flourishing Christian. We're never meant to be a Christian factory. We want to partner with, we want to assist in, we want to equip toward. But this relationship is supplemental, not replaceable. We are with you, for you. We're trying to support you. We want to set you up to be the hero. That you shine at home, influencing your kids. So when your kids sharing their testimony one day at their future church, your names are involved in that testimony. My parents love Jesus. And they help me love Jesus. This is a partnership. But we need volunteers to step in to help aunts and uncles to help with that partnership. So when you think about people, I think about three different things and how people can step in. There can be another voice to speak truth into your kids' lives. You know this, parents. Like You can say something a thousand times. Say it a thousand times and somebody comes in that says the exact same thing you said. And like, Did you hear what they said? Blew my mind. Yeah, I've been saying it to you forever. You need another voice in your kid's life affirming the truths you're trying to affirm at home. You need a set of ears listening to your kids. Your kids are talked at all day long, every day. Clean your room, do this, do that, do your homework. Talked at all day long. So when we recruit leaders to be a part of this ministry, we need ears that listen to them. And once that student realizes, hey, this, this person actually will listen to me, they actually care about me. Another set of ears, but also another set of eyes. 
Reality is your parent, you're biased towards your kid. You either think they're the worst or the best. It's probably somewhere in the middle. But when, when, you're, when you're struggling with something with your kid, you can call up a, a leader and ask, hey, how have you experienced them lately? Maybe you're, you're considering getting your student baptized, your student's wanting to be baptized, you're not sure about it. You can go to your student ministry leader and ask them, hey, have you seen the Spirit of God inside them? Do you see the fruit of the gospel flourishing in them? You need another set of eyes that maybe see the things you haven't seen. Maybe they're, they're, they're killing it as a Christian and you're not seeing it. Our students need people. And thirdly, our student, students need truth. Our students need truth. Think about this. If Paul is writing to these kids... He's assuming they've heard the rest of Ephesians. And if you've read Ephesians, it's no light book. It gets pretty dense. Look what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 14. He kind of gives the mission statement of Ephesians, his prayer. Look what he says. For this reason, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in earth and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Listen to this. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, have strength to comprehend with all the saints, including kids, all the saints, what is the breadth, the length, and what is the height and the depth? That you may know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That is his prayer, that these people be grounded and rooted. And how does he do that? He gives them a big God and a big gospel. Our students need a big God and a big gospel, a big God in, in crazy circumstances, like somebody bringing a gun to their school. They don't know what to do about that. How is God relating to that? He, he has loved them before they ever loved him. He has planned their salvation, Ephesians 1. And he's blessed them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And he's working all things according to his will. We serve a big God that isn't in chaos when suffering happens. We serve a big God that offers a big gospel, that, that our problem wasn't just that we were okay. Our problem is that we were dead in our trespasses and sin, walking toward the, the power of the air. We were dead. But Christ, in his grace, made us alive and seated us in the heavenly places where we are saved by grace through faith, not of our works. Our students don't need another form of moralism. That if I'm a good Christian, I'll just obey my parents, go to church, don't cuss, don't have sex before marriage, and don't get drunk. That will not keep them. They need a gospel that will hold them. I did. As a, as a, as a young man, as a young man that was, knew Jesus died for me but didn't know why. And I, and I was 16 years old and watched my best friend die in his football pads. 
We're the only two boys in fifth grade, 16 years old. I knew Jesus died for me. I knew God was there. But I didn't have a big God and a big gospel. And all of us have a story, right? All of us wish we had somebody that told us something sooner. All of us have a scar. Our, our, our kids need something bigger than what we had, right? Our kids need something that will hold them until they're 35. Our kids need a robust gospel on a really big God. A God that, that convicts them when they think their way is the right way. A God that makes sense when culture is at their door to their gender is this way and the Bible isn't true. They need the truth. And Paul knows this. They need to share that truth to, to kids lonely and depressed and scared. Kids they walk the streets with in their neighborhoods. Kids they walk the halls with in their schools. Our kids are some of the easiest missionaries in our entire church. They're around more lost people than we would probably ever be around. And they have the gospel. And they can use it. Jesus took 12 teenagers. 12 goofballs probably middle schoolers, and change the entire world. Our kids can do this. Just for, just for a second, maybe you're here and you just rolled in here with a, with a family, you're visiting with a family, maybe you, know, you don't know Jesus, and you're like, I, I'm glad I came on the, the sermon that's not talking about me. You, you need these things too, and that's probably why you're here. You're trying to make sense of the world. You're trying to make sense of your life. Well, God is not naive to these things. Put your faith in Jesus. Your problem isn't all the circumstances. Your ultimate problem is that you need Jesus. And that won't fix everything. Not, not everything will be roses and sunshine. But it'll get us somewhere. It'll get us somewhere. Students need belonging. Students need people. Students need truth. Students, I want to talk to you for a second. Maybe, I know you're in here. You can't hide. Get off your phone just for a second, please. You belong here. You're important here. These elders care about you. I know. I was in the interview process. They love you. And... This may sound weird, but I love you. I don't even know you yet. But I came, I'm coming to North Indy because I love you. My ask of you is come hang out. You've probably, you may have been hurt. It may have been awkward. It's going to be honest with you. I'm just helping you practice for the rest of your life. <laughs> if you avoid awkwardness for the rest of your life, life is going to be really tough. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be some weird silence going on. But listen, listen. When you do not come, you rob us of you. You rob us of you. You have something to offer here. You belong. Give us a chance.
come hang out. Students that are already involved, I can't wait to hang out with you guys. Can't wait to point you to this great truth from the gospel. And you have a team that's already doing that, and they're killing it. Parents, we're with you. Let's do this together. Let's partner together. When you drop your student off to student ministry, you carry with that student a baton. And when you pick up your student from student ministry, you pick that baton back up. You are on the team. Your student ministry leader yourself, you signed up at the hospital. Let's do this together and reach out. Listen, the assumption here, if the gospel is true, no parent has it together. No parent has arrived. Parenting is hard because the world is broken. The church exists because the world is broken. Nobody has it together. So let's partner together. Assume that none of us have this figured out. It's a journey going one way toward Jesus. Church, for us, it starts with a burden. My encouragement for you, church, is to remember your story. How did God rescue you? How did God transform you? Remember your middle school years. Woo! Like, just, that should encourage you to step in right then. Remember your scars. We all have stories we wish we didn't have to tell, right? Maybe to our spouses, maybe to our kids. And my encouragement is for you to step in. Step in. Are you saying, Zach, are you recruiting leaders on your first day here? You bet I am. The best way for you to step in is to go to to, um, yourchurch.com slash students. And then you'll see an application on there for you to step in as a volunteer. We need you, church. Zach Cochran isn't going to fix anything. Isn't going to do anything. We need the body of Christ stepping into the lives of our students. And we scream to them, you matter. So let's do this together. And lastly, pray for our students. They're moldable and they're, 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 they're being influenced 17 million different ways. Satan is after them. So if you have a small group or a Sunday school group or a family, my encouragement, make it a priority to pray regularly for the students in our student ministry. Think about the amount of prayers that were prayed over your salvation. Prayed over your flourishing. Pray for our students. There's a guy in the Holocaust named Nicholas Winston during World War II. This, you may have heard him. There's YouTube clips all over the place on him. And this, this guy, Sir Nicholas Winston, was known for rescuing 669 kids out of Germany into Britain. But he didn't tell anybody about it. Told nobody. His wife one day found this book. This book was a journal during that time. And at the end of this book, there was a roster This roster was made up of kids he rescued. Without him knowing, she set up this event 
He set up the front row of this event, and he really didn't know what was going on. You can watch the YouTube clip. He, he's kind of clueless to what's going on, and this, this person starts talking about him. She, this person has this book. This lady talks about there's a few people here that you rescued, and they, he got to meet them. Then at the end, he, he, the, the lady asked, who else here was, was rescued by Nicholas Winston? And the whole room stands up. That's our hope. That one day, in a cloud of witnesses, in glory, that we see people. We see students. And their testimony is, I met Jesus at College Park. I heard the gospel at College Park. I found belonging at College Park. I found people at College Park that loved me. Winston said that 70 years ago, he never knew the impact he would have. Listen, we will never know the impact we will have. When our students graduate, let it be known to them without a doubt, College Park Park loved me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to step into the lives of our students. Father, I pray a special blessing that you revive, that you do a work, that you pour out your spirit on this church, and that we experience something like we've never experienced before. Not because this guy named Zach's driving a few hours north, because the spirit is at work and the gospel is true. Do a great work here, please. Amen.